Section 10 of Ben the Luggage Boy, or Among the Wharves, by Horatio Alger, Jr. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Tori Falder. Chapter 19, Which is the Guilty Party? It was an exciting moment for Ben. He felt that his character for honesty was at stake. In case the pickpocket succeeded in getting off with the letter and money, Mr. Sampson would no doubt come to the conclusion that he had appropriated the $50 to his own use, while his story of the robbery would be regarded as an impudent fabrication. He might even be arrested and sentenced to the island for theft. If this should happen, though he were innocent, Ben felt that he should not be willing to make himself known to his sister or his parents. But there was a chance of getting back the money, and he resolved to do his best. The pickpocket turned down a side street, his object being to get out of the range of observation as soon as possible. But one thing he did not anticipate, and this was Ben's immediate discovery of his loss. On this subject, he was soon enlightened. He saw Ben jump from the horse car, and his first impulse was to run. He made a quick movement in advance and then paused. It occurred to him that he occupied a position of advantage with regard to his accuser, being respectably dressed, while Ben was merely a ragged street boy, whose word probably would not inspire much confidence. This vantage ground he would give up by having recourse to flight, as this would be a virtual acknowledgment of guilt. He resolved instantaneously to assume an attitude of conscious integrity and frown down upon Ben from the heights of assumed respectability. There was one danger, however, that he was known to some of the police force in his true character, but he must take the risk of recognition. On landing in the middle of the street, Ben lost no time, but running up to the pickpocket caught him by the arm. What do you want, boy? he demanded in a tone of indifference. I want my money, said Ben. I don't understand you, said the pickpocket loftily. Look here, mister, said Ben impatiently. You know well enough what I mean. You took a letter with money in it out of my pocket. Just hand it back and I won't say anything about it. You're an impudent young rascal, returned the gentleman, affecting to be outraged by such a charge. Do you dare to accuse a gentleman like me of robbing a ragamuffin like you? Yes, I do, said Ben boldly. Then you're either crazy or impudent. I don't know which. Call me what you please, but give me back my money. I don't believe you ever had five dollars in your possession. How much do you mean to say there was in this letter? Fifty dollars, answered Ben. The pickpocket had an object in asking this question. He wanted to learn whether the sum of money was sufficient to make it worth his while to keep it. Had it been three or four dollars, he might have given it up to avoid risk and trouble. But on finding that it was fifty dollars, he determined to hold on to it at all hazards. Clear out, boy, he said fiercely. I shan't stand any of your impudence. Give me my money, then. If you don't stop that, I'll knock you down, repeated the pickpocket, shaking off Ben's grasp and moving forward rapidly. If he expected to frighten our hero away thus easily, he was very much mistaken. Ben had too much at stake to give up the attempt to recover the letter. He ran forward and seizing the man by the arm, he reiterated in a tone of firm determination, give me my money or I'll call a cop. Take that, you young villain, exclaimed the badgered thief, bringing his fist in contact with Ben's face in such a manner as to cause the blood to flow. In a physical contest, it was clear that Ben would get the worst of it. He was but a boy of 16, strong indeed of his age, but still, what could he expect to accomplish against a tall man of mature age? He saw that he needed help, and he called out at the top of his lungs, Help! Police! His antagonist was adroit, and a life spent in eluding the law had made him quick-witted. He turned the tables upon Ben by turning round, grasping him firmly by the arm, and repeating in a voice louder than Ben's, Help! Police! 
Contrary to the usual custom in such cases, a policeman happened to be near and hurried to the spot where he was apparently wanted. What's the row, he asked. Before Ben had time to prefer his charge, the pickpocket said glibly, Policeman, I give this boy in charge. What's he been doing? I caught him with his hand in my pocket, said the man. He's a thieving young vagabond. That's a lie, exclaimed Ben, rather startled at the unexpected turn which affairs had taken. He's a pickpocket. The real culprit shrugged his shoulders. You ain't quite smart enough, boy, he said. Has he taken anything of yours? asked the policeman, who supposed Ben to be what he was represented. No, said the pickpocket, but he came near taking a money letter which I have in my pocket. Here, with astonishing effrontery, he displayed the letter which he had stolen from Ben. That's my letter, said Ben. He took it from my pocket. A likely story, smiled the pickpocket in serene superiority. The letter is from Mrs. Abercrombie, a friend of mine, and contains fifty dollars. I incautiously wrote upon the envelope money enclosed, which attracted the attention of this young vagabond, as I held it in my hand. On replacing it in my pocket, he tried to get possession of it. That's a lie from beginning to end, exclaimed Ben impetuously. He's trying to make me out a thief when he's one himself. Well, what is your story? asked the policeman, who, however, had already decided in his own mind that Ben was the guilty party. I was riding in the Fourth Avenue cars alongside of this man, said Ben, when he put his hand in my pocket and took out the letter that he's just showed you. I jumped out after him and asked him to give it back when he fetched me a lick in the face. Do you mean to say that a ragamuffin like you had $50, demanded the thief? No, said Ben. The money wasn't mine. I was carrying it up to Mrs. Abercrombie, who lives on Madison Avenue. It's a likely story that a ragamuffin like you would be trusted with so much money. If you don't believe it, said Ben, go to Mr. Abercrombie's office in Wall Street. Mr. Sampson gave it to me only a few minutes ago. If he says he didn't, just carry me to the station house as quick as you want to. This confident assertion of Ben's put matters in a rather different light. It seemed straightforward, and the reference might easily prove which was the real culprit. The pickpocket saw that the officer wavered and rejoined hastily. You must expect the officers a fool to believe your ridiculous story. It's not so ridiculous, answered the policeman, scrutinizing the speaker with sudden suspicion. I am not sure, but the boy is right. I'm willing to let the matter drop, said the pickpocket magnanimously, as he didn't succeed in getting my money. I will not prosecute. You may let him go, Mr. Officer. Not so fast, said the policeman, his suspicions of the other party getting stronger and more clearly defined. I haven't any authority to do as you say. Very well, take him along then. I suppose the law must take its course. Yes, it must. Very well, boy. I'm sorry you've got into such a scrape, but it's your own fault. Good morning, officer. You're in too much of a hurry, said the policeman coolly. You must go along with me, too. Really, said the thief nervously. I hope you'll excuse me. I've got an important engagement this morning, and I, in fact, it will be excessively inconvenient. I'm sorry to put you to inconvenience, but it can't be helped. Really, Mr. Officer, it's no use. I shall need you. Oblige me by handing me that letter. Here it is, said the thief, unwillingly surrendering it. Really, it's excessively provoking. I'd rather lose the money than break my engagement. I'll promise to be on hand at the trial whenever it comes off. If you keep the money, it will be a guarantee of my appearance. I don't know about that, answered the officer, as to being present at the trial. I mean, that you shall be. Of course, I promise that. There's one little matter you seem to forget, said the officer. Your appearance may be quite as necessary as the boy's. It may be your trial and not his. Do you mean to insult me? demanded the pickpocket haughtily. 
Not by no manner of means. I ain't the judge, you know. If your story is all right, it'll appear so. Of course, but I shall have to break my engagement. Well, that can't be helped, as I see. Come along, if you please. He tucked one arm in that of the man and the other in Ben's and moved toward the station house. Of the two, Ben seemed to be much the more unconcerned. He was confident that his innocence would be proclaimed, while the other was equally convinced that trouble awaited him. "'Well, boy, how do you like going to the station house?' asked the policeman. "'I don't mind as long as he goes with me,' answered Ben. "'What I was most afraid of was that I'd lose the money, and then Mr. Sampson would have taken me for a thief.' Meanwhile, the other party was rapidly getting more and more nervous. He felt that he was marching to his fate, and that the only way of escape was by flight, and that immediate, for they were very near the station house. Just as Ben pronounced the last words, the thief gathered all his strength and broke from the grasp of the officer, whose hold was momentarily relaxed. Once free, he showed an astonishing rapidity. The officer hesitated for an instant, for he had another prisoner to guard. Go after him, exclaimed Ben eagerly. Don't let him escape. I'll stay where I am. The conviction that the escaped party was the real thief determined the policeman to follow Ben's advice. He let him go and started in rapid pursuit of the fugitive. Ben sat down on a doorstep and awaited anxiously the result of the chase. Chapter 20. How All Came Right in the Morning It is quite possible that the pickpocket would have made good his escape if he had not, unluckily for himself, run into another policeman. Beg your pardon, he said hurriedly. Stop a minute, said the officer, detaining him by the arm, for his appearance and haste inspired suspicion. He was bareheaded, for his hat had fallen off, and he had not deemed it prudent to stop long enough to pick it up. I'm in a great hurry, panted the thief. My youngest child is in a fit, and I am running for a physician. This explanation seemed plausible, and the policeman, who was himself the father of a family, was on the point of releasing him when the first officer came up. Hold on to him, he said. He's just broken away from me. That's it, is it, said the second policeman. He told me he was after a doctor for his youngest child. I think he'll need a doctor himself, said the first, if he tries another of his games. You didn't stop to say goodbye, my man. I told you I had an important engagement, said the pickpocket sulkily, one that I cared more about than the money. Where's the boy? I had to leave him to go after you. That's a pretty way to manage. You let the thief go in order to chase his victim. You're an able-bodied victim, said the policeman, laughing. Where are you taking me? I'm going back for the boy. He said he'd wait till I returned. Are you green enough to think you'll find him, sneered the man in charge. Perhaps not, but I shouldn't be surprised if I did. If I guess right, he'll find it worth his while to keep his promise. When they returned to the place where the thief had first effected his escape, our hero was found quietly sitting on a wooden step. So you've got him, said Ben, advancing to meet the officer with evident satisfaction. He's got you too, growled the pickpocket. Why didn't you run away, you little fool? I didn't have anything to run for, answered Ben. Besides, I want my money back. Then you'll have to go with me to the station house, said the officer. I wish I could go to Mr. Abercrombie's office first to tell Mr. Sampson what's happened. I can't let you do that, but you may write a letter from the station house. All right, said Ben cheerfully, and he voluntarily placed himself on the other side of the officer and accompanied him to the station house. I thought you was guilty at first, said the officer, but I guess your story is correct. If it isn't, you're about the coolest chap I ever saw, and I've seen some cool ones in my day. It's just as I said, said Ben. It'll all come right in the morning. They soon reached the station house. Ben obtained the privilege of writing a letter to Mr. Sampson, for which the officer undertook to procure a messenger. In fact, he began to feel quite interested for our hero, feeling fully convinced that the other party was the real offender. 
Ben found some difficulty in writing his letter. When he first came to the city, he could have written one with considerable ease, but he had scarcely touched a pen or formed a letter for six years, and of course this made an important difference. However, he finally managed to write these few lines with a lead pencil. Mr. Sampson, I am sorry I can't carry that letter till tomorrow, but it was took from my pocket by a thief when I was riding in the cars, and as he said I took it from him, the cop has brought us both to the station house, where I hope you will come and tell them how it was, and that you give me the letter to carry, for the other man says it is his. The cop took the letter. Ben Hooper. It will be observed that Ben's spelling had suffered, but this will not excite surprise, considering how long it was since he had attended school. It will also be noticed that he did not sign his real name, but used the same which he had communicated to Charles Marston. More than ever, till he was out of his present difficulty, he desired to conceal his identity from his relations. Meanwhile, Mr. Sampson was busily engaged in his office in Wall Street. It may as well be explained here that he was the junior partner of Mr. Abercrombie. Occasionally, he paused in his business to wonder whether he had done well to expose a ragged street boy to such a temptation, but he was a large-hearted man, inclined to think well of his fellow men, and though in his business life he had seen a good deal that was mean and selfish in the conduct of others, he had never lost his confidence in human nature, and never would. It is better to have such a disposition, even if it does expose the possessor to being imposed upon at times, than to regard everybody with distrust and suspicion. At any rate, it promotes happiness and conciliates goodwill, and these will offset an occasional deception. An hour had passed when a boy presented himself at Mr. Abercrombie's office. It was a newsboy who had been entrusted with Ben's letter. This is for Mr. Sampson, he said, looking around him on entering. Another of Mr. Sampson's friends, sneered Granby, in a tone which he took care should be too low to come to that gentleman's ears. My name is Sampson, said the owner of that name. Who is your letter from? It's from Ben. And who is Ben? asked Mr. Sampson, not much enlightened. It's Ben, the baggage smasher. Give it to me, said the gentleman, conjecturing rightly that it was his messenger who was meant. He ran his eye rapidly over the paper, or, I should say, as rapidly as the character of Ben's writing would permit. Do you come from the station house? he asked, looking up. Yes, sir. Which station house is it? In Leonard Street? Very well. Go back and tell the boy that I will call this afternoon. I will also give you a line to a house on Madison Avenue. Can you go right up there, calling at the station house on the way? Yes, sir. Very well. Here is something for your trouble. The boy pocketed with satisfaction the money proffered him and took the letter which Mr. Sampson hastily wrote. It was to this effect. My dear Mrs. Abercrombie, I received your note and dispatched the money which you desired by a messenger, but I have just learned that his pocket was picked on the horse cars. I cannot spare one of my clerks just now, but at one o'clock will send one up with the money, hoping that he may have better fortune than the first messenger, and that you will not be seriously inconvenienced by the delay. Yours truly, Henry Sampson. Then he dismissed the matter from his mind until afternoon, when the office having closed, he made his way to the Leonard Street station house, where he was speedily admitted to see Ben. I'm glad you've come, Mr. Sampson, said our hero eagerly. I hope you don't think I was to blame about the letter. Tell me how it was, my lad, said Mr. Sampson kindly. I dare say you can give me a satisfactory explanation. Ben felt grateful for the kindness of his tone. He saw that he was not condemned unheard, but had a chance of clearing himself. He explained briefly how it occurred. Of course, it is unnecessary to give his account, for we know all about it already. I believe you, said Mr. Sampson in a friendly tone. The only fault I have to find with you is that you might have been more careful in guarding your pockets. That's so, said Ben, but I don't often carry anything that's worth stealing. 
No, I suppose not, said Mr. Sampson, smiling. Well, it appears that no serious loss has occurred. The money will be recovered, as it is in the hands of the authorities. As to the delay, that is merely an inconvenience, but the most serious inconvenience falls upon you and your being brought here. I don't mind that, as long as the money is safe, said Ben. It'll all be right in the morning. I see you are a philosopher. I see your face is swelled. You must have got a blow. Yes, said Ben. The chap that took my letter left me something to remember him by. I shall try to make it up to you, said Mr. Sampson. I can't stop any longer, but I will be present at your trial, and my testimony will undoubtedly clear you. He took his leave, leaving Ben considerably more cheerful than before. A station house is not a very agreeable place of detention, but then Ben was not accustomed to luxury, and the absence of comfort did not trouble him much. He cared more for the loss of his liberty, finding the narrow cell somewhat too restricted for enjoyment. However, he consoled himself by reflecting, to use his favorite phrase, that it would all be right in the morning. It will not be necessary to give a circumstantial account of Ben's trial. Mr. Sampson was faithful to his promise and presented himself somewhat to his personal inconvenience at the early hour assigned for the trial. His testimony was brief and explicit and cleared Ben. The real pickpocket, however, being recognized by the judge as one who had been up before him some months before, charged with a similar offense, was sentenced to a term of imprisonment considerably to his dissatisfaction. Ben left the courtroom well pleased with the result. His innocence had been established, and he had proved that he could be trusted, or rather, he had not proved faithless to his trust, and he felt that with his present plans and hopes, he could not afford to lose his character for honesty. He knew that he had plenty of faults, but at any rate, he was not a thief. While he stood on the steps of the tombs in which the trial had taken place, Mr. Sampson advanced towards him and touched him on the shoulder. Well, my lad, he said in a friendly manner, so you're all right once more? Yes, said Ben. I knew it would all be right in the morning. I owe you something for the inconvenience you have suffered while in my employ. Here is a $10 bill. I hope you will save it till you need it and won't spend it foolishly. Thank you, said Ben joyfully. I'll put it in the bank. That will be a good plan. Good morning. When you need a friend, you will know where to find me. He shook Ben's hand in a friendly way and left him. He's a trump, thought Ben. If my father treated me like that, I'd never have wanted to run away from home. End of section 10. Recording by Tori Falder.